Father and son personal injury lawyers Ronald and Darren Bobrov fled South Africa in 2016 after the Hawks issued warrants for their arrest. The warrants were issued after several courts found that they overcharged many of their clients when claiming compensation from the road accident fund. Many of these clients were severely injured and vulnerable victims of road accidents. A forensic investigation of their books by the Law Society of the Northern Provinces also found significant financial irregularities, including instances of tax evasion and that clients were overcharged. It also found that a check made out to a victim was deposited into Darren Bobrov's personal bank account. Numerous former clients also approached the courts to demand the repayment of overcharged amounts, and the Bobrov settled virtually all of these claims out of court. A year after the Bobrovs fled to Australia, the Israeli government froze around 103 million rand in Israeli bank accounts, which was ostensibly the proceeds of the overcharged South African clients. The South African High Court and the Supreme Court of Appeal ruled that 95 million rand of the money were deemed to be the proceeds of crime, and that it should be forfeited to the state. The Bobrovs even unsuccessfully petitioned the Constitutional Court to appeal against the Supreme Court of Appeal judgment. However, while these legal processes were ongoing in South Africa, the Bobrovs reached a secret settlement deal with the Israeli authorities to dodge criminal prosecution. In terms of the settlement agreement, the Bobrovs forfeited around 70 million rand to the state of Israel and kept a balance of about 25 million rand. In this podcast, I speak to the attorney Richard Spoor, who represents the Bobrovs in South Africa. I also talk to advocate Suna de Villiers of the Asset Forfeiture Unit regarding the agreement the Bobrovs reached with the Israelis. The National Prosecuting Authority was not available for an interview, but has previously confirmed to MoneyWeb that the settlement does not affect its investigation, the finalization of the prosecution decision, and the preparation of an extradition request. Richard Spoor joins me now. He's, of course, a well-known attorney, and he represents Ronald and Darren Bobrov in South Africa. Richard, thanks for your time. How are the Bobrovs currently doing? Um, life is very difficult for them. They've lost everything that they built up in South Africa. They can't work as attorneys there. It's um, actually a very depressing, very sad scenario. Uh, especially for a man like Ronald, who's done so much and, you know, was such a well-regarded, successful attorney and now, you know, finding himself as um, ostracized from his own community, isolated, alone, um, enduring significant hardship. It's very bad. It's very ugly. It's very unhappy. But it follows many judgments in South Africa against him and his son, Darren, in various courts, and these courts labeled them as being dishonest. But they've always proclaimed their innocence of any wrongdoing. So what is their position yes. now looking back? Look, you know, notwithstanding the order of the Supreme Court of Appeal, which has been upheld and which found that they were guilty of theft, not guilty of theft, that they had, that their um, conduct amounted to theft, my view is very strongly that there's no basis for it. You know, everything flows from these contingency agreements and the fact that they relied on so-called common law contingency fee agreements at a time when there was uncertainty about the impact and import of the Contingency Fees Act. 
So what the SEA judgment is based on, really, is it says that because they relied on common law fee agreements, they had overcharged their clients, and by not repaying the money to their clients and keeping that money, they were guilty of theft. Now, that's a tenuous argument at best. I don't know how it's been sustained. I think, in part, they're having left the country, fled the country, really. Ronald Bobroff fled the country out of fear that he would be arrested. I think that has weakened their case considerably, and we see this judgment stand. But I have very little doubt in my mind that there's no basis whatsoever for any criminal charges against Ronald Bobroff. But yet, since 2014, there were numerous former clients who instituted legal action against Ronald and Darren Bobroff regarding overreaching, and the Bobroffs actually settled settled those cases. On the basis that the contingency fee agreements that they had entered into, whereby a flat fee was agreed of, say, 25%, that amounted to an overreach because it wasn't in compliance with the provisions of the Contingency Fees Act, which says twice your ordinary fee to a maximum of 25%. And the so-called common law agreements were struck down. So people were able to recover the difference between their ordinary attorney-client costs and um, the costs that were taxed by the Bobroff. So, yes, they were able to recover money, but it's based strictly on an interpretation of the act and the validity of the agreements that were entered into. The fact is thousands of clients by dozens and dozens of attorneys were charged on exactly the same basis to a flat fee of 25%. And it's effectively that that was declared to be unlawful and therefore they were obliged to repay funds. There's not a suggestion that they charged more than they were entitled to charge in terms of the agreements that they'd entered into with their clients, and which had been standard practice in this country for decades, many, many decades. So yes, it's a civil wrong. It's not a crime. But why do you think the courts then ruled in the way they did? Well, on the civil matters, it's very straightforward. The agreements were invalid, and therefore the clients were entitled to recover the difference from what they should have paid versus what they had paid under the provisions of the agreements that were set aside. But these are civil wrongs. They're not criminal wrongs, and there's a fundamental difference. You know, if you believe you've been overcharged or the agreement in terms of which you were charged is invalid, you can set it aside and recover those monies. That's a simple common law thing. But uh, the Bobroffs were certainly not unique, and there's no evidence whatsoever of any criminal wrongdoing. Let's talk about after the Bobroffs fled to Australia. The Israeli government seized around just over 100 million rand in Israel on money laundering suspicions and later found that 95 million of that was the uh, proceeds of crime and uh, that 95 million became really really contentious and uh, even in South Africa it was uh, ruled by the SCA that uh, that money was the proceeds of crime and should be forfeited to the state and then the Bobrovs uh, settled with the Israeli government and um, two-thirds of the money went to the Israeli government and they kept the other third just put that whole agreement for us in context over uh career of more than 30 years, Ronald Bobroff had saved money and invested in Israel. 
he was an enthusiastic um, supporter of the Zionist ideals and the Israeli state, and he felt it was his patriotic duty to invest that money there. On the advice and the assistance of some of the Israeli banks, his money was moved there. There is no argument that it was done without the authority of the Reserve Bank, but it was after tax money, but it was moved without the permission of the Reserve Bank, and the Reserve Bank have imposed penalties on the transfer of money without Reserve Bank permission. Now, it's that money, Ronald Bobrov's money, accumulated over 30 years in a very successful practice that the asset forfeiture unit first seized and then was finally declared forfeit to the South African state. The South Africans went to Israel and engaged with their Israeli counterparts and said, oh, we want this money back. We've got an order. The Israelis saw this as a golden opportunity to grab the money for themselves. They then notified the Bobrovs that they were going to apply for the extradition of Ronald Bobrov on the basis of money laundering. You mean Darren? Based in Darren, yeah. Mm-hmm. Based entirely on, on the South African court papers and the allegations that were made here. They conjured up, using the South African documentation and court records and the approaches from the South African authorities to seize the opportunity to grab the money for themselves. They then said, we're going to apply for the extradition of Darren Bobroff. We're going to have him arrested, held pending extradition. Then we're going to extradite him to Israel. And we're going to hold him here in custody until the trial is over. Unless you agree to forfeit this money to us, in which event we'll leave you alone. And that's what happened. So basically the South Africans tipped off the Israelis, the Israelis jumped at the opportunity and extorted the money out of the Bobrovs. It's disgraceful behavior, it's opportunistic in the extreme, and the South Africans played right into it. I mean, it's a farce, frankly. The South Africans lost their money because they were stupid and incompetent in the way they dealt with the matter. But why would the Bobrovs settle if they are innocent? Because Darren Bobroff would have been arrested and detained and held in custody for months. It's extortion. We're going to have you arrested. We're going to have you locked up. We're going to have you deported to Israel. We're going to hold you in custody unless you agree to pass this money, which had already been attached by the South Africans. So what are you going to do? Why didn't the, the Bobrovs disclose the settlement during the Constitutional Court case? It wasn't relevant. I mean, the South African authorities are in touch with the Israelis and they've been dealing amongst themselves. We're just bystanders in that process. But surely that agreement made the whole application to the Constitutional Court moot? Well, it doesn't at all, because the fact of the matter is that there's an order saying that they have committed theft by not repaying monies to their clients. The damage is done. I mean, the money is, uh, is important, but the most important thing is the harm that's been done to their reputations by what I persist in saying is a really bad finding. 
So you just regarded it as being irrelevant and you, you thought the responsibility would have been on the NPA to disclose it? No, there are two issues. One, the NPA is engaged with the Israeli authorities. They brought them into it. They're collaborating with them. They're plotting together. It's their business. They're acutely aware of it. That is the first point. The second point is the appeal is about the Bobrov's reputation and their standing. And it's not just about the money. It's about a finding that they have benefited from the proceeds of crime. And it's the wrongness of that decision that was being taken under repeal. In the court papers submitted as part of the case before the Constitutional Court, it's indicated that the Bobrovs want to take that settlement on review. Where is that review process currently? Where does it stand? I'm not entirely sure. I know it's ongoing, but the Israeli system is arcane and and, and complex and difficult. So there are proceedings to set it aside on the basis that this money was extorted. But I don't know how far that has progressed. The money was, as you've said, uh, taken out of South Africa illegally. The Reserve Bank fined the Bobrovs uh, around $600,000. Has that fine been paid? They agreed to pay the fine, but because their monies were seized by the South African authorities, they weren't able to pay it. And that remains the, the case today? Yeah. Well, how are they going to pay it? They don't have any money. They have nothing left. Between them, you know, the South Africans facilitated the Israeli Israeli seizure of their savings and those are being grabbed and there's nothing left. They're impoverished. They're broke. They have nothing. Has the NPA been in contact with the Bobrovs since 2016 when they fled the country? No, they haven't. They haven't disclosed any charges. They've refused to disclose any charges. And the reason they haven't done anything is because they have nothing. They don't have a case against the Bobrovs. They don't have it. It's a farce. It's a joke. There is no valid criminal case that could be made against the Bobrovs. There is no case. The finances of that company, which was placed under administration, have been audited. It's been years. There is no shortfall in the trust accounts. There are no liabilities. There's no evidence of any any impropriety in the books of account of that firm. There's nothing there. There is no basis for any criminal charges. We would love the state to disclose that they have a case. We've in fact said, listen, disclose what you've got. Tell us what you've got. Give us an undertaking that you won't hold them in custody, which is the real threat. Ronald Bobroff is 78 years old and not in good health allow him to come back and we're happy to deal with the charges. But they won't do anything. They'll just bluster and perform. But there is nothing. There is no case against the Bobrovs. They've been railroaded and it's a, it's a tragedy. The Law Society of the Northern Provinces had an independent forensic order done on the Bobrovs books and they found yep. significant irregularities. No, they didn't. Speak to the administrator of their trust account. There's nothing there. We have the reports. There is nothing. I recall there's just one incident where a check made out to uh, Philippe Pombo was, there is, was that uh, ended is up in, in, in Ronald Bobrov's bank account. No, it didn't. It ended up in, uh, in uh, da- Darren Bobrov's, Darren's bank. Bobrov's account. That is the only incident that they can allude to. 
That has been dealt with. That is allegedly, the Bob Ross claim it was by accident, it was a mistake. That is it. That is the sum total of the case against the Bob Ross. And it doesn't even impact on Ronald at all. During previous correspondence between us, you said the Bobrops are willing to come back to South Africa and stand trial on the condition that they are not arrested in South Africa. No, they can be arrested. They just mustn't be held in custody. You can summon somebody to appear in court, disclose the charges, we'll come back. But the kind of justice they've experienced here and the kind of way they've been demonized you know, it doesn't really encourage any kind of sense of confidence. So what we'd like to see is what are the charges that you wish to put? We're happy to come back and face them. But you must agree that when we return, you're not going to lock us up and put us in Sun City, you know, the prison south of Johannesburg. I mean, that's a fair enough request. And if the NPA has a case, well, disclose it. Tell us what the case is and we'll come back. Show the public. Tell us where are these charges? What are these charges? How many years is it? You haven't seen a thing. You know, can you tell me what the charges are? And I mean, you've been involved in this thing for years and years. What are the charges? What do they look like? There is no charge. It's rubbish. We're dealing with a, you know, a posturing incompetent NPA. That's it. You know, every now and again, the politicians ask, how are the Bobrovs doing? And what are you doing? And you hear all this talk. But no information, no disclosure, no action. And that is after a period of more than five years? when I think it's considerably more than that. I think they left in about 2016. I mean, it's pathetic. It's, it's rubbish. On and that's why I'm willing to defend the Bob Ross, because it's clear to me they've been railroaded. Huge injustice has been done to them. And, you know, it's just manifestly unjust and unfair what's happened. And there has been no interaction between yourself and the NPA as being their legal representative here. I haven't had any dealings with them. I'm not even sure who to deal with, but their previous attorneys have dealt with them at length. I don't even know who's responsible. Everything they do is top secret, hush, hush. You cannot deal with them. You cannot get a case number. You cannot speak to an investigating officer. You cannot speak to anybody in the NPA who does it. I have requested some parliamentarians before whom submissions and statements have been made to furnish me with information, but even that seems to be unavailable. So, no, there is no information, there's no openness, there's no transparency, and the reason, as far as I'm concerned, is simply because they have nothing. A good man's reputation has been ruined, his life has been ruined for nonsense. And I mean, you know, as well as I do, that Bobrov made some very influential enemies. You know, the, uh, the medical aid societies who had an objection to his challenges to the way that they were recovering their medical costs from road accident victims made him unpopular. And all this litigation was bankrolled by Discovery. I mean, you know, you know Discovery well. You and people associated with this program have worked with those people in ENS. You know, the lawyers for Discovery. I mean, you know what's gone down here. It's been an orchestrated, deliberate campaign. And it's unjustified and it's wrong. Why do you think Discovery took those steps? They got really peeved off with Ronald Bobroff. And the reason they got peeved off with Ronald Bobroff is he objected to 
the methods that they were using to recover their road accident expenses from their, their hospital expenses that they'd paid to insured members who were involved in road accidents. What he said is that they were using improper methods to secure agreements from the accident victims that they could recover their full medical outlay out of any road accident fund settlement. They didn't contribute to the recovery of that money. They didn't contribute towards the legal costs. And where settlements had to be discounted, say, for shortcomings in the merits um, that required a discounting, Discovery took their full outlay, leaving many of these people without any general damages and basically severely undercompensated. You know, the stories were, as I understand, that they were sending people to these people while they were in hospital and saying to them, sign this document, and if you don't, we're not going to pay for your medical costs. And then they signed an agreement that was, frankly, oppressive. That's what I understand they objected to. Was that the only directed at the, the Bobrov firm, or was that an industry practice? No, I'm sure it wasn't just directed at the Bobrovs, but certainly they funded and bankrolled the litigation against the Bobrovs. That much is clear. Are you aware of any extradition application or process being instituted uh, by the NPA? No, nothing. Richard, thanks so much for your time and insights. Okay, right. Really appreciate the time. As I've said earlier, the NPA wasn't available for an interview, but has previously confirmed to MoneyWeb that the settlement does not affect its investigation into the Bobrovs, the finalization of the prosecution decision, and the preparation of an extradition request. However, the asset forfeiture unit was prepared to speak on the record. I have on the line now advocate Suna de Villiers. She is from the Asset Forfeiture Unit within the NPA. Suna, thanks so much for joining me. Can you just give us maybe a chronology of the Asset Forfeiture Unit actions against the Bobrovs? When did you get involved? Yes, good day, right uh, to you and to your listeners. Yes, we got involved in the matter a couple of years ago when we were approached by the Israeli government who brought under our attention that they have frozen money in two accounts and that these monies were held in the names of uh, Daryl and Ronald Bobrov. We were then informed that the Israeli government did a open source search. They saw that the Bobrovs are linked with criminal activities in South Africa and they made us aware about these monies in those two accounts. We then filed a subsequent application to freeze the money in that overseas account. And that's how we became involved. I must honestly say that if we were not approached by the Israeli government, we would not have known about the money in Israel. And how was the relationship then between uh, Israel and uh, the South African authorities? Very good. Look, uh, crime people need to take hands when they fight crime. And uh, we are all countries have an obligation to to work together to inform other countries about possible proceeds of crime in the country. So the relationship uh, was good. Uh, there's no problem. We received documents, spoke on a regular basis, 
And based on that information, we brought our application. And then the NPA pursued legal avenues in South Africa, which ended up in the SEA proclaiming that the money was the proceeds of crime and should be forfeited to the state. The Bobrovs then signed an or reached an agreement or a settlement with the Israeli government through which the Israelis took the majority of the money. It was forfeited to the Israeli state without any correspondence or consultation with the South African authorities. When did you become aware of the settlement? I became aware of the settlement early in 2021 when we received a letter informing us that the monies were paid back to them after an agreement was reached. We were then asked to to respond on certain issues and uh, naturally you can imagine we just want to our profile matter in the in the SCA before a full bench, and then we were informed that uh, there was no money to repatriate. So, of course, that was devastating news to us. Um, we were not informed of any discussions. By saying that, I don't say that there weren't any discussions possibly with other state departments, but with the NPA or with the Asset Forfeit Unit, there was no discussions. And the Israelis wrote a letter to the NPA informing them of the seizure. Uh, did they in any way disclose or justify their action? Well, one of the reasons presented is, is that you know each country has its own jurisdictional requirements and there needs to be certain, certain allegations needs, needs to be proved in every country. According to them, some of those requirements were not met by the South African authorities. Uh, we dis- disagree on that and we are still in negotiations with them or in discussions with them surrounding those issues. So uh, that was the main reason that was given. It's not the issue of you can freeze money here, bring an application here, freeze the money and then enforce it overseas. There are certain further requirements that have to be met. And that's the Israelis' um, Okay. I've spoken to Richard Spoor, the Bobrov's legal representative in South Africa, and he said what happened was an absolute disgrace. He says the Israeli authorities were very, very opportunistic and that they used the information supplied by the NPA and the Asset Forfeiture Unit to them to institute a criminal case against the Bobrov's and that the Bobrovs only reached the settlement with the Israeli government to keep Darren Bobrov out of jail for a few months while the case was being heard. Mm. And he said it was total opportunism on the part of the Israelis. Uh, Do you agree with that? Well, I'll say in response, uh, what someone else told me a few years ago is that you're entitled to your wrong opinion. (laughs) This might not be the the right forum for that. Look, my impression was never that the Israelis were opportunistic. I thought that uh, their case was very well researched. They've done a lot of investigation. Uh, I do know that they did come to South Africa to sort out certain issues. And I do believe that the case that they presented there was strong and based on evidence uh, in their possession. I think the mere fact that Mr. Bobrov was willing to reach a deal in order to keep himself out of jail just shows what kind of evidence the Israelis had. So, no, I do not think the Israelis are opportunistic. I don't think any process in South Africa is opportunistic. The evidence speaks for itself, and the SCA confirmed that. So there is currently negotiations on the go with the Israeli government to at least have some of that money being repatriated to South Africa? 
Yes, I cannot, uh, of course, divulge the details thereof, but uh, I can assure you that we're not giving up on it. Suna, thank you so much for your time. That was Advocate Suna de Villiers. She is from the Asset Forfeiture Unit.